Welcome back to Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. I'm Tyler. I'm Bo. I'm Aaron. And welcome back to season two. You guys missed us, right? Yeah. I know you guys, we missed each other. Yeah, man. We haven't seen each other since we recorded, right? It's, It's been a minute. It's been a minute. So there's so much more for us to cover. And I think some people were wondering, there was this question, I could feel it in people's mind. Is there anything left to cover in a season two of Once Upon a Time in Wakanda? And I'm just going to let you guys know, I'm offended by that sentiment. So wow. if you tweeted me, I favorited the tweet because I dislike it. And so I'm going to I'm gonna personally email you the SoundCloud link. I'm going to personally send it to you because there's so much more to cover. We barely scratched the surface. Very true. And I, you know, I think it actually probably is a good idea to... Uh, put put in the right mind of the listener where we stand as we sit and record this, right? Like, you know, Infinity War has come and gone. Uh, you know, obviously, we know that a Black Panther sequel is in the works. We know what yes. happened in Infinity War. But because, like, the Black Panther and Wakanda is so very, like, firmly now placed in the extensive MCU, I, can we just go ahead and say at the very top of this season, spoilers? Like, yes, all please. other yeah, MCU absolutely. stuff. Oh, my goodness. Because, like, and, and, like, there's some things that I know that later on in the season, that I want to talk about that are going to end up spoiling aspects of like Jessica Jones. So from that standpoint, like we're talking Netflix, yes. everything it's going to yes. just the little comments may happen here or there that may spoil something not necessarily connected to black Panther. So spoilers, bro. If you're, if you're not caught up with infinity war, why are you listening to this podcast? Just look, here's what we say. Pause us. Just go drive to the movie theater. Watch it's it. still in the theater. Just watch it. Catch up. Do a Netflix binge and then come back to it. We're still going to be here. And listen, there will be a season three too. I just want to go ahead and prepare oh, wow. you guys. Wow. Okay. There will right. be a season three. We're coming back. I didn't say when, but there will be a season three. <laughs> now, first of all, I, I want to ask you guys, how many times have you watched Black Panther since season one? Because now the, the digital is out. The DVD Blu-ray is out. Did, did y'all get the official Blu-ray? I didn't get the official Blu-ray. I'm, I'm, I'm very much kind of pro digital. So, yeah. so go on digital as much as possible. Plus, I mean, like it's available on most streaming services right, right now too, right. you know? Uh, and you know, I, mm, should I confess this? You know, most, most of like the, the behind the scenes DVD exclusives are now on YouTube as well. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. You're trying to take money out of out of Marvel's pocket. <laughs> Marvel gonna shut this podcast down. Yeah. Be like, don't tell people that. Yeah. The mouse is coming. You gotta look out. Yeah. I want the digital route too. Same. So yeah. I was I was thinking Blu-ray because that's what I typically do. But then when you go the digital route, your movies travel with you. Exactly. Yep. A whole lot easier. And so I went, I went the digital route. So how many times have you guys watched it? For me, it's been, I think, three times since I since I bought the digital. Oh, since you bought it. So how many times have we watched it since getting it? Uh, three times since I've since getting it. I that's got how you. many times I've watched it. And then total now that would be like five or six times with theater so, so for for me too because I, I got i watched it once i got it and then um you know i actually was just traveling back home from new york and on delta they actually had it streaming there <laughs> bro so they do the and so you just kind of sit back you're like and it is actually i love it you know we had this conversation with one of our friends in, in another setting and this whole idea of can you watch it can you just just casually just leave it on in the background i love that idea yeah i love the idea that it's just something you can watch and then when i looked over a couple of rows up 
on planes that I've been on in actually two or three different cases, you see like Killmonger talking right. to, to T'Challa. <laughs> you see Okoye talking to Wakabi. You just kind of look at like, man, this is awesome that this is like in the ecosystem. Yeah. You can, you, I never could have imagined, you never would have believed that Black Panther would be playing on a Delta flight or a United <laughs> flight. Like, that's crazy, man. So how many times have you watched it again? Since the, since it's come out, I think twice. Okay. It's been it's been it's been on at the house. So is it the same experience for you guys? Are you guys still feeling still feeling like it's it's you know the greatest blockbuster in the modern era? So I mean, like the because I know you guys all agree with me in that. So just right, you know, actually, you know, Aaron and I were talking about this before you got here because I remember last season you Mm. made the case for how you know it was up there with Star Wars in the impact that it had you know on, on the zeitgeist on on just kind of you know the way that we talk and how it enters into lexicon. And, you know, I, I was a little bit hesitant to go with you on that, but, you know, we're a couple of months out now and yeah, no, Wakanda has mm. definitely entered into the, uh, everyday vernacular for, for the common man. Like this, this actually is having that level of impact. So it's kind of nice to, you know, be at this point in time and look back and say, Tyler was right. Yeah. I was preaching at a church <sighs> that yes, wasn't my yes, home yes, church this yes. past Sunday and I mentioned Wakanda and people actually did the did the Wakanda <laughs> like like they knew like right. like some like like so I got some feedback from my sermon uh, on Facebook and one of the members of that church actually said Wakanda forever wow like <laughs> in the in that's their comments. crazy wow that's nuts <laughs> yeah. But we have to admit, though, I, that, that's Amen. awesome. That, yeah. What kind of forever? Yeah, it's like totally like, is this the right place to be saying this? You know, yeah. I actually, you know, I actually brought up, yeah, that happened to me as well in a similar context. But it's funny because I hate this for Chadwick Boseman because Chadwick Boseman is oh, so man. done with the Wakanda <laughs> forever. Listen, if we were a video show, we put up faces of of chadwick boseman you can go on youtube and you can go on twitter and you'll see it this brother is done (laughs) but he's like stop saying it michael b jordan at one point in time like someone was saying something to him he's like man i ain't from wakanda man like chill (laughs) these characters are done man which is again on the star wars train because a lot of those characters after you know a lot of the actors and and actresses once their their characters became so iconic they were like i you realize i'm not princess leia i just look like her you know what i mean like that was something carrie fisher carrie fisher and mark hamill in particular yeah i mean for 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 all time now princess leia luke skywalker dude and harrison ford for like decades just straight up hated star wars right like he hated did. star he really wars. did and he's such a great he's such an iconic actor outside of star wars that there's so much you can pull from mm. hamill that was kind of his peak moment and yeah it's, it's well, iconic yeah. i mean well, outside you know, of his joker, voice work. joker and all that stuff we obviously would would agree there but I think with with Harrison Ford in particular, just being Han Solo, I mean, he's Indiana Jones. He's just all these different characters, and you're just kind of sitting back, like, how does it feel to have your entire acting career defined by one mm. film, and no one can see you outside of that? And is that going to happen with Chadwick? Uh, I mean, he's played so many other iconic, uh, uh, well, not even just characters, but like people from history. Like he's he's got a a pretty uh extensive body of work in such a short amount of time 
but it is hard to kind of get away with, from such an iconic role. Yeah. Mark Hamill's kind of interesting, though, because I mean, like, he is iconic for playing Luke, a hero, but he's also mm-hmm. iconic for the voice that he gave to the Joker. Absolutely. Yes, he is. And that kind of dichotomy of kind of living in this villain hero aspect kind of ties into what we're going to talk about this episode, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to give y'all what y'all want up front. We already know you guys have been wondering why, how do you do season one and not talk about one of the most, probably the most compelling character, the most unexpected compelling character in Black Panther, Killmonger. The villain, N'Jadaka. I love that scene where he says, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but where he, he says his name and then the music comes on underneath him. Yeah. That was so, that was an amazing scene to me. Let's just start off talking about that music, man. Like his Yo. theme. His theme is so iconic. Yeah. That gym anthem, homie. That's, that's that gym. <laughs> that's that superset anthem, homie. Yeah. Listen, play that, man, and how it builds. Yes. And then the beat drops, and then the movement. Woo. And it plays like maybe four or five times in the movie. Yes. But then they do a flip of it when he's doing the scene where the kingdom is upside down. Mm, and then they see, that beat is crazy, too. I mean, they really made Killmonger likable in a, in a way. Is that is that possible? They also made him hateable. But yes, there was very much a likable aspect to it. And that's something actually we've seen Marvel do with uh, a lot of the villains in this kind of era of the Marvel uh, universe. You know, we've talked about before, but uh, there was a lot of think pieces out there that talked in the early days of the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe how the villains, they had a villain's problem. The villains weren't very compelling mm-hmm. with the exception of Loki. They weren't very likable and they were just kind of like the bad guy shows up, they hit you and then, you know, whatever, they're right. done. Mm-hmm. And so in this phase with characters like Ego, the living planet, like most recently uh, Thanos, uh, you know, like this idea of actually making the villains likable, uh, even on the Netflix series, what we actually saw with Cottonmouth and and with uh, um, the Purple Man with uh, Kilgrave, Kilgrave, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so these are these are all very compelling characters. And Killmonger, whether or not Thanos has like taking taken the spot, I don't know. But up until Infinity War, it was very undisputed. Killmonger was the most compelling villain that Marvel has to date in its last decade of films. I, I Do you disagree? I think that whole idea of Marvel villains is like overhyped. What do you mean? I think that idea that Marvel villains aren't good. I think people expect superhero or comic villains to be Darth Vader or Joker. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a continuum. And I think the continuum is it's just the reality that some people are just bent on destruction. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Some people don't have this deep and a, a compelling backstory. Some people don't have, you know, noble motivation. Some people aren't anti-heroes. Like it's, it's okay. You know? So for me, Red Skull, he was over the top, but he worked. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. No. And I have no, I have no, uh, criticisms there. Even somebody like Ronan the Accuser, uh, who mean, was a very, you know, quote, forgettable villain from a lot of people's standpoint. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, you just, dude shows up with the hammer and he's going to attack him. Like at the end of the day, that's the role that he facilitates in that story. Yeah, driven by this purity, driven by this idea. He's a henchman of Thanos. Like he's trying to do what Thanos bids him to do and then steps away from him at the end. I mean, the one forgettable villain to me that I was like, this is a total waste was Malekith. Like I mm-hmm. felt that Malekith in Thor, the dark world, <laughs> the one that literally everybody a, forgets about. Aaron, yeah. Do you remember Malekith? <laughs> was a total when Tyler waste. said it, I was like, please elaborate. <laughs> 
But you know, he he's so much better in the comics. You kind of send back, you're like, right. man, this could be a very interesting villain. And now they just made him whatever. But to me, whether it's Ultron, it doesn't really matter who it is. Whether it's Baron Zemo, I'm cool with all of them. That's mm. that's fine. I mean, they're villains. It's not about them. But I think Coogler did something very unique because if a villain is going to represent something, then the villain, if a villain's going to be good or compelling, they should represent a line of argument mm. against the hero. And I feel yeah. like that's what Coogler did. And so how do you feel about Aaron? How do you feel about Killmonger versus T'Challa? Because there's so much conversation about is Killmonger right? Was T'Challa wrong? Is Killmonger right-ish, sort of right? How do you feel about that conversation? That's one of the things that makes Killmonger so compelling. And we have to also mention the fact that the way that Killmonger was portrayed in the movie, this movie was released within a particular cultural context Yes, that set the stage perfectly. Set mm-hmm. the stage perfectly. And so even the way staying true to the source material, for instance, in terms of Killmonger's strong anti-colonial, uh, you know, anti-imperialistic kind of bent, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was perfect, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, I don't think that he is the, the yin to T'Challa's yang. I don't think it's just like a, a light, dark kind of thing. There's more depth in that because Killmonger actually has some valid points. Yeah. He has some valid points. And not only that, there is, there are real wrongs that were committed against him. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, so, so Killmonger is a character that was forged within the context of the sins of the forefathers. I mean, that's, that's, uh, he he was made by it. And so it's not just that he's someone that's just bent on destruction or conquering for the sake of doing so. There's a particular furnace or, or, um, crucible, you know, where, where his ideology was, was forged. And so it's a lot, it's a lot more complicated than just that, you know, oh, he was the opposite to T'Challa. No, in some ways, I think he had T'Challa, uh, in in terms of ideology, I think he was right and T'Challa was wrong. Well, you have to admit though, that in this particular context, T'Challa does represent the status quo. And even if the status quo is Wakanda, like, is there something wrong with the status quo intrinsically? Right, Bo. But what do you think about that? Because Bo's over here wrestling. I wish you guys could see his facial expressions. <laughs> well, like, I, I, what? T'Challa's the status quo. Like, I, I to some extent, like on the most like baseline extent, that's true. But the entire movie is less about him upholding the status quo and him very specifically trying to figure out what is his reign going to be. Like he, Absolutely. he doesn't have like he's not really hanging his hat cowl hood whatever you want to call it <laughs> right right his ears he's not he's not really ready to like it's you gloss. know s- sign off on what his regime is going to be about um like and like at any point even when killmonger shows up t'challa still hasn't quite figured that out mm-hmm. so i think you know you you could argue that it's he's heading in the direction of upholding the status quo but even then i don't even know that that's the case with the influence of characters like nakia um, you know, even, even Wakabi, uh, yeah. you know, before he goes, you know, full on Killmonger, like they, they are very much these influential voices. He is very much kind of seeking counsel and taking in this information. Mm-hmm. And in the extent of, in, and as the story, you know, progresses, he's getting more information. He, the lies that he have, has been told is being exposed to him. So I, I can see how like 
you know, on the surface, he represents the status quo. You know, obviously, he is the direct descendant of the previous uh, king. He is a member of the Black Panther tribe who is, you know, has been brought up within the Black Panther tribe. He has only ever known kind of this uh, seat of, of from the ruling class and, and from that standpoint. So, yeah, I, I see that on the surface level. But in reality, T'Challa hasn't really done anything. He hasn't gotten out of his father's shadow yet. So I think we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves because we have to talk about the source material. We have yes. to talk about yeah. how is Killmonger in the comics different from Killmonger in the film? And I think one of the core ways is Killmonger in the comics was born in Wakanda. And so there's a nativity of him yes. being part of Wakanda. But based upon his father and Jobu's betrayal of I believe it was T'Challa and not T'Chaka, which is a little bit different. So T'Challa was the one who exiled Jobu's family. Yes. Yes. So he was the one that after he was, after he died, um, he was supported, he was supporting Claw instead of actually defending Wakanda from Claw. Claw was able to, to basically lure him in. Then they were exiled. And so Killmonger or Jadaka, he went to Harlem. And so he goes to Harlem and then gets trained. And this is one of the principal differences. He was trained at MIT and the film talks about it, but it doesn't really show how smart he is. I was going to say that his Hmm. intellect is grossly undermining the film. It shows his it shows his intellect in the art exhibit scene. It shows his intellect as far as military strategy. But I would have loved to see a little bit more. He was, he seemed consumed by his anger. And I would have loved to see him reined in just a little bit and controlled and then exploding every time he sees T'Challa, exploding every time someone's questioning him. Because I feel like there's something about that that would have showed, no, this dude is, is probably as smart, if not smarter than T'Challa. Hmm. Like you guys need to actually know he's that smart. He's crazy gifted. Yeah. And so when we talk about Killmonger, he was able to get back in by basically lying. To T'Challa to, to say, I want to redeem my family name. I want to come back. I want to, I want to, you know, come back into the Wakandan folds and I want to promote uh, my name. And, and they're like, okay, come back in. And in reality, what he's trying to do is set up a coup d'etat. Yep. And so Killmonger in the comics is just as powerful as T'Challa, even when T'Challa has the heart shaped herb. Hmm. How does that make you feel? Like Killmonger is just as powerful, could go step for step, just as smart with him. It speaks to that drive on the inside of him. I mean, that's that's a almost a trope to some extent, and I mean, like it's a trope that we've seen in in a lot of uh, uh, comics media uh, in the source material, and especially whenever it gets to the big screen, that's like the go to, right? It's it's the here's the hero and here's the villainous version of the hero. Here's Iron Man. Here's Iron Monger. You know. Um, like, and even, even actually going in Iron Man, even in Whiplash, all of a sudden he's got a suit and he never had a suit in the comic, you know, like, so they even took it a step further. And so, you know, it is somewhat of a trope to create somebody, oh, he's just as, just as, just as Batman faces this, uh, unfortunately all the time in more modern because it almost becomes something of a crutch for creators, um, for them to just kind of go to, oh, he's, they're, they're equally matched. They're evenly matched, except for this person didn't require this. This person didn't require this. And Deathstroke. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It, I, I think what, what's compelling to me about Killmonger from the comics is less about his ability mm-hmm. and more about like his plan and what his he actually does, yeah. you know, and, and I know you're about to talk about this, but specifically 
capitalizing on the uh, the fact that when T'Challa goes out from Wakanda yes. and you know d- goes and does some avenging with the Avengers or, or handles things on a on a more global scale, Killmonger comes on up and kind of acts as the Black Panther, acts as kind of a local vigilante and yes. raises himself up and be like, you know, where is your king? You know, it's is this your king? Pointing at the air, exactly. you know, like, like, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's there's nobody there, and so he's able to very uh, strategically position himself within Wakanda and really kind of tear apart the narrative that's kind of propping up the Black Panther uh, mythos and tribe. Yeah. And and what's fascinating about Killmonger, particularly in the movie, is he really does, when he's fighting T'Challa, when he's opposing T'Challa, he's making a counter argument. Mm. And so he's making a counter argument to the establishment within that country and what are you what are you talking about here? These are our people, and you're not helping out. You're not helping out your people. Like, what does this mean? When he's beating T'Challa, he's like, "Man, is this your king? The one supposed to lead you into the future? How's this? How's that going to happen? Like, he can't even beat me. Like, what's going on? I'm an outsider. I've been here five minutes. I'm beating your king. Like, how does this work? And so, what does Killmonger? What do you perceive? I should say, Aaron. Killmonger wants. Like, what does this man want? What's his desire? And we'll just stick with the movie because okay, okay. you know we'll come back to the comments, but we'll stick with the movie. He wants to, I think ultimately the killmonger of the movie wants to fill a void that can't be filled. Hmm. And so he seems to be bent on revenge more so than anything. And so I think, I think even his desire for Wakanda to dominate the world is even second to his desire for revenge for what took place in his childhood and, and what happened to him and what happened to his father. And so I think he wants to validate himself. He's an mm-hmm. exile and he wants to validate himself and he wants to not only just take ven- vengeance, but he wants to vanquish that house that exiled him. Mm. Like the people that stole his identity or, or kept him from his identity. He not only wants to assert his identity, but he wants to obliterate theirs in the process. Yeah, that's why he tells them to burn all the heart-shaped herbs. <laughs> just burn it all, right? Because I want to get rid of all this. I want to get rid of the line of succession. Now, once he kills Zuri, spoiler, once he kills Zuri, it seems spoiler, like, hang on, yeah, really? Yeah, I'm just. It's like a natural. We gave a spoiler thing. warning for the entire universe. Oh, it's a natural. It's a natural thing. I'm sorry. Right. You know, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. <laughs> One of the five people who have not seen Black Panther yet in the world and listening to this podcast. Right. I know. It's just like <laughs> what? But once he kills Zuri, it's weird because it almost seems like that flips a switch in him, and he goes full on because now he's vanquished T'Challa. He's killed Zuri. He thinks he's killed T'Challa, but the reality is, what what's next? Like it's one of the the things with vengeance. After you've taken your revenge, now what? And it's like, okay, well, let's multiply this revenge on a global scale. Like yeah. let's go and get everyone who's who's wronged us. And it seems like that flips a switch in him so much so that when he goes into the ancestral plane, mm. there's a brokenness there mm. because he has to really, truly, I think for the first time, say goodbye to his father. Like, he's like, this is closing the door. And I feel like there was a vulnerability that Michael B. Jordan conveyed in that moment, that this is a child and his dad. 
maybe they're the ones. Maybe Wakanda's the ones who's lost, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's just that emptiness in him. Did you see that shift, Bo? Once he once he kills Zuri, thinks he kills T'Challa, then he just goes full on. I I mean. It makes sense from, from just kind of, uh, from an argument standpoint. Um, and, you know, both of the, you know, he can, he can never get revenge on T'Chaka because T'Chaka's dead. So this is like the right. closest he can get, uh, you know, is killing, you know, T'Chaka's son and literally the man that, you know, his, his father was sacrificed for. So from that standpoint, like they, you can't get more close to that purest revenge, uh, with, with the options that he has right there. However, I don't think that like, I didn't necessarily see a switch. I just saw this as working the plan. Like, you know, you were talking Mm -hmm. before about how, you know, you would have liked him to see him like more controlled and then the rage kind of busts out when he's dealing with T'Challa. I've seen like, like the way they painted him was more of, he's been working this plan literally his whole life. You know, like when he rips the shirt off and you see all the markings of all the people he's killed, like to get to this point, like, like he's, he's at, you know, if this is a volcano, he's at the top, Wow. you know? And so from that standpoint, every step of the way, killing these two people, getting his revenge, moving on to the next step. I, I, I have always saw that as, you know, he had a plan and he's just working that plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe if he had, I I do, I would say that perhaps once, like, let's say he would have been successful. He probably would have gotten to a point where either he would have just reveled in the chaos and like, you know, enjoyed the ashes of the world you know, like someone who's truly insane or he would have felt, you know, broken because he had literally achieved everything and, and, and all he got for it was destruction and pain. Yeah. And, you know, it would, it would be kind of the, the chickens coming home to roost. That so to Thanos speak. moment, mm-hmm. you know, what did this cost you? Everything, you know, everything. everything. So I, I want to talk about something because I think it's very, I feel like Kugler was genius in how he embodied this conversation between African-Americans and Africans, right? Mm. Like how it's, it's very clear. It's very obvious to us. And I think one of the most obvious ways is, is the fight that T'Challa has at the beginning against M'Baku. Right. The fight he has in the beginning, he has this moment where M'Baku is overpowering him, leans back and he sees his mother saying, show him who you are. But in the throne room later, Killmonger is looking at everyone saying, ask me who I am. Mm. Like the show me who, show them who you are and ask me who I am. Like as this juxtaposition of, oh, well, you have a secured identity. So just live in your secured identity that you already have that's already been established for you. And no, 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 let me prove to you who I am. I felt like it was that really interesting tension within our own community, the black community. I'm pointing at Aaron, not Bo, uh, the, the black community <laughs> where it's like, it's like, man, you have these, this African and African American kind of struggle and this tension point. And a lot of people have talked, have talked about Killmonger representing the black radical tradition. That there's this tradition of radicality that comes out and that's what makes him right because there's always a necessity, not just for this peaceful, acquiescent, go along with the status quo. There's this necessity of kind of pulling the extremes and kind of pressing the argument. Did you did you see it like that? Because that's kind of the, the typical argument that people make. Absolutely. Like one of the words that comes to mind when I consider Killmonger is revolutionary. And one of the the very uh, stark differences between the trajectory of his life and that of T'Challa's is that, is that T'Challa has grown up in a life of gross privilege by being a pro- part of a royal family, being connected to his that boy heritage. Said gross privilege. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, as I mean, compared to you know, compared to losing your heritage, and I think when when you see which literally would have been. 
Killmonger. Like it literally would have been Killmongers had he had he actually yeah. grown up in Wakanda. Yeah. yeah. And so you see one who is connected to the tradition. He's connected to the heritage. He's connected uh, very strongly to his identity. He knows where he's from. He knows the roots. All of those things. And then you have the other who has been disconnected. And not only is Killmonger disconnected from the the heritage and the roots of Wakanda, he's also uh, created in a way by American culture and even used yes, by bro. American government to yes. carry out their, y- 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 you know, their agenda and their plans. And it's like, hmm, okay, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> subtext. that's a very interesting, subtext, <laughs> right? Right. Because he was trained to destabilize, like he was trained by the American military. And it's interesting also the fact that T'Challa had a mother, albeit not his biological mother. He had a mother to, and I, I believe that's the, that's the case because I believe in in the comics. In the comics, that's true. I don't know that that's true in the movies, though. Okay, so in the comics, Ramondes is T'Chaka's second wife, and I believe T'Challa's biological mother died while giving birth to him. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that later in later episodes. But after that, you know, you have Ramonda on one side as a mother or a mother figure, and then you have no one in Killmonger's life to lead and guide him. No mother. No connection, really no intergenerational pull. And so it's kind of like there's just this rage at thinking an entire generation has shunned you. Like mm. not just not just, hey, I, I found my dad. Well, I found my dad and he told me a little bit about Wakanda or I found something about Wakanda. And what I see now is that I feel like this whole country's turned turn their back on. Yeah. Me. So his who cares? Return, his return was a violent pilgrimage. So, I mean, I mean, he's there. Island pilgrimage. I mean, he's there and, and he's returning home to his roots, but he's not returning to admire or to reconnect. You know, uh, he, he's returned to conquer. Like mm. he's returned to take over. He, he's returned to reshape, um, in terms, you know, in, in line with what he believes and his worldview yeah. and the way he thinks and believes things should be. And so a lot of people have compared Killmonger to Malcolm X. I, I've said before, I think that's a lazy comparison. I think Killmonger is probably more in the black radical, radical tradition of like a Stokely Carmichael or Huey Newton or someone like that. And I think it's, it's true to an extent what he's saying. He makes valid points. I think he makes valid points about a separationism from like a broader diaspora. Like we have to, as people within the black community, stay connected to the broader, more global black struggle, understanding it's not just about America, but it does include America. I think he makes some good points about the ways in which they're using their resources. I think he makes good points about, you know, just the fact that they covered up something that was evil and wrong. But the way in which he goes about it feels very American. Hmm. It's interesting because I feel like because Killmonger makes some really solid points, a lot of times uh, the kind of the quote, you know, the hashtag Killmonger was right mindset tries to remake him into something he wasn't. Like even Aaron earlier, you said he was anti-imperialism. I was like, no, it wasn't. He was all about building an empire. (laughs) Like he was very much. And he even says as much in terms of, uh, kind of the American mindset. He was like, you know, I've, I've learned their ways and I'm going to use it against them. Uh, and actually it reminded me a lot of, there's a, uh, 
Oh man, this is like a super nerdy thing to even reference. Go, but go, go it, for it. it. No, that's right, why so, we're here. That's so, why we're here. So, no, no, this is like super nerdy. So, there's a World of Warcraft uh, expansion that came out called Legion, in which hmm. uh, they created this character of the quote demon hunter. And that's somebody who uh, has gone out. They hate demons. So, what they do is they go and they kill all these demons, but then they take their powers and start using demonic powers. And so, wow. the tag tagline was even uh, in our most desperate hour, we will use the power of the enemy against itself. And so, they there's kind of that aspect of Killmonger in this kind of mindset in, in his most desperate hour, he's using the powers of his enemy. And in this case, literally things like imperialism and kind of the, the way in which he's going to go and literally destabilize the world to establish his own imperialistic dominating rule. You know, the points that like led him to where he is and, and, you know, a lot of really, really good solid lines are really good. And there, there are some, there, they make for a really compelling villain. But at the same time, yeah, he is consumed and blinded by anger. He is very much a violent person. He is overly violent, especially with women. Yes. Uh, throughout the entire movie, if I'm not mistaken, T'Challa notwithstanding, uh, everyone he kills. We didn't see, we didn't yeah. see him brutally kill anybody other than women. Because uh, even yes. with uh, Claw, I mean, it was just, you know. And it doesn't show yeah. it. Like, it shows, it cuts away from Claw, his his final shot against Claw. And so, it doesn't show Claw's death. Right. And so, it cuts away from that final, final gunshot, that final blow. But in every other case, you're seeing this brutal, like, and even the way in which he kills the member of the Dormelage uh Dormelage. Right. It's like very like slicing gleeful. Yeah. It's like, man, wow. So you've gotten to this point to where your 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 vengeance has consumed you. And juxtapose that with T'Challa at the end of Civil War. T'Challa at the end of Civil War says, you know, vengeance has consumed them. Vengeance has consumed you. I won't let it consume me. Right. He made the choice right there. They killed my father. I saw it. It was wrong. I can't go there with you. Yeah. So, all right, so getting back to kind of even what we said before, T'Challa is trying to process his role. He is trying to understand what it means to enact justice. Mm. And he's still by the by the end of the film, by the end of his life. Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He hasn't. He still Sorry. hasn't quite figured that out because that's not easy. On the other hand, vengeance is very easy. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, the path that he took took a lot of machinations, you know, uh, in order to make it play out. But but the reality is, is when you're driven by vengeance, that's an easy emotional place to go to, to pull energy, to pull, uh, you know, where, where your you know, rage is coming from. You had mentioned about how it almost they almost had to make him too much of a villain. Uh, we, we talked about that a little bit going uh, mm-hmm. to recording. Do you want to unpack that a little bit, Aaron? Yeah. So in, in terms of when you affirm certain aspects of Killmonger as he's represented and portrayed in the movie, it comes with a lot of uh, blowback because he's, he's psychopathic. And not only that, but his vengeance does turn him into a raging hypocrite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yes, mean, as, yes. as it does with, with everyone, right? So, so what it does is I think one of the big differences between the source material and the ways portrayed in the movie is that in the movie, it's, it's harder. It's more problematic to affirm Killmonger because of the way he treats women, because his, of his bent 
on violence and just how senseless it is. And yet when you interact or with the Killmonger as he's portrayed in the source material, I mean, there is a philosophy behind what he's doing. He is patiently subversive. Um, uh, he, he's very smart, intellectual, the whole nine. And so I think that, um, it's kind of of a, and again, there's only so much work you can do within the terms within terms of a movie and how you right. can unpack a character. But I think it's it's simplify it simplifies him in a way that in order to affirm his uh, the 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 places where you feel like he got he got things right, where um where even personally where I look at Killmonger and I'm like I relate to that character. Talk a little bit about why you relate to that because I think it's important for us. You talked about the cultural context. There is a cultural context that this movie is released in the midst of mm. where there's a heavy sense of oppression and then hopelessness and anger and almost this sense that something has to give. Yeah. Because we're seeing very public displays of this. Why is this the perfect time for this conversation? I think it's one of the things is the fact that we're coming to grips anew within our culture in reality of dysfunctional systems, you know, uh, on a macro yeah. level, you know, systemic injustice, systemic oppression. And one of the, th- one of the reasons why I think Killmonger resonates so much is because he, the system that he sees as dysfunctional, he's not a politician. He's a military man. Right. Right. And I think one of the, one of the, things that I relate to that I agree with as a military man is the fact that he refuses to make any compromise with the dysfunctional system as he sees it. He just wants to see it come down. Mm. Right. Right. And so he's like, I'm not interested in reasoning with you. Mm. I'm not interested in making any sort of compromise. This cannot stand things as they should be cannot stand. I won't allow it. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to subvert, to disrupt and, and ultimately uh, destroy it's what he wanted to do. And so I think that for those of us who are not only aware, but who experience on a very personal level, where whether in our lives yes. or or throughout our ancestry, that, that that resonates with us because you couldn't get Killmonger to be patient. He had no patience, mm-hmm. you know, in the movie. And I think sometimes when people reason with the oppressed to be patient, just to wait it mm-hmm. out, you know, it may change. Let's see how it turns out. Come on, you know, just hold on. There comes a point where you're like, I'm tired of waiting. I don't want to wait anymore. I want that which is dysfunctional to crumble. I want to see this system, um, you know, um, the dysfunction within this system eradicated. We want yeah. things to be set right and we want things to be set right right now for our people. Yes. Which sounds a little bit like another Marvel villain who I'd love for Bo to talk about because Bo and I had this great conversation about how Killmonger reminds us of one of the greatest comic book villains of all time. Yeah, I think we even uh, kind of made reference to that last uh, last season. But obviously, uh, the comic book character of Magneto, um, you know, <laughs> Magneto is so dope, y'all. Magneto is yes. a really powerful character. Yeah, I, I, I 
I would imagine that most people listening have a frame of reference for who Magneto is. At this point, you know, there's been so many different X-Men films, uh, you know, and Magneto has been pretty much a character, you know, a, a dominant character in, in many of them, if not all of them. Uh, and then also for those of us who grew up in the nineties, of course, you yes. know, he was the, he's the quintessential, uh, you know, and something that's awesome about Magneto too, is that in many respects, you know, heroes have their arch nemesis. Batman has the Joker. Superman has Lex Luthor. The entire X-Men had Magneto. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a one-to-one right, type right, situation. Right. Uh, and I mean, you can make the argument that he was kind of the counter to Professor Xavier, but that's not true. Xavier's like chilled out in the mansion while everybody else was going in. Yep. He's like, hey kids, go fight this guy. Yep. <laughs> you know? um, that powerful. That scene, I have to say this, that scene, and I I think it was X-Men 2, where he's like, There's iron in your blood. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yo, that scene is incredible. Like I love and so he's like he's he's he takes the iron out of his blood and then he has this this little stand that he's like levitating on and he's got these three metal balls that are circling around him and he's just shooting them around. I'm like, yo, I watched that recently. I was like, yo, that scene is iconic. Dude, X2 is an amazing, for the longest time. And I would even state of that era, the greatest superhero film of that era. Like X2 was amazing. I'm not saying of this era. Better than Spider-Man 2? Oh, wow. Hang on. No, I hadn't thought about yeah, that. Yeah, like That's, X2 and Spider-Man 2 Spider-Man like, 2 kind of changed my life, honestly. Spider-Man was, 2 is incredible. <sighs> that second Tobey Maguire, that Doc Ock, man, yeah, that was I don't really know. Good. All right, well, those two films. Now. Okay, okay. <laughs> really good. But all right, so this was, I, I, I kind of wanted to reference this because this was actually a tweet that went viral uh, from a, a guy, John uh, Wiswell. And so basically, this is what he, well, this is what he put up there. He said, uh, Black Panther post-credit scene. Just kind of a you know fantasy Black Panther post credit scene. Killmonger awakens in a strange hospital. He's shocked that he's alive. How did the vibranium blade miss his heart? In a chair to his left, Ian McKellen's Magneto is reading James Baldwin. <laughs> he looks up and smiles and says, "My name is Eric too." Yo, yeah. that would be crazy. <laughs> Yo, y'all got to do that, man. Would that not be amazing? That would be incredible. So, you know, the funny thing is, though, like reading that really got me thinking, like, what if these two guys who are very like so very similar in in kind of popular portrayal, right? Like, I mean, you could actually dissect each comic book character and kind of see they're not a whole lot alike. But in how we perceive them, how they've entered into the zeitgeist, they kind of represent each other. The hashtag Killmonger was right is directly pulling from the hashtag Magneto was right. right. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like there, there's an obvious connection here. Um, but I am kind of curious, like their, their end games are very counter to one another. You know what I mean? Like even in a scenario where they would end up working together, they would eventually be enemies. Like there's just, I don't see any scenario where even though these two guys are kind of similar because Magneto who has gone through his own kind of evolution in the comics, you know, when he was first introduced, uh, you know, even though they made him a little bit more of a, you know, you understood why he was the way he was, they Mm -hmm. justified his reasoning, but like even his team was like the brotherhood of evil mutants. They had evil in the name. Right. And in modern retellings, the evil has been dropped because, you know, obviously the villains are more compelling when they don't see themselves as evil. 
However, in in the modern retellings of Magneto, there's been a lot more deep dive into recognizing that, you know, actually Magneto makes a lot of really good points. And also he has seen a lot of suffering. And also he has come to the point over and over again, justifiably so for the last several decades with all the exact same characters in which every single time they've tried to play along with the status quo, it has ended up, event, you know, leading in their death. Uh, they're constantly yep. policing by giant robots, you know, like people being <laughs> yeah. locked up, their powers literally being taken away, uh, being used by the government, being used by all these different, being used by shield, being used by the Avengers, yes. like all of the, the systems and the, the organizations that are built and championed as heroes are constantly at one point, they even go head to head in Avengers versus X-Men, you know? Mm-hmm. And so from that standpoint, we Which see is so good, by the way, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. The matchups. That's what I'm talking no, about. No, no, that, the matchups. It is. It is. It is. It's very. It's very popcorn comics. It's not like a. You no, know, it's not. Deep. It's not. A, it's not a thought piece. But it is really good. <laughs> uh, but but one way or the other, the great thing is that we see through Magneto not just kind of the um, the dive into more of these theoretical symbolic stories for for what's going on in the real world. We also see characters like Scott Summers, Cyclops, mm-hmm. who ends up coming right along with them. And so we also so we see him literally kind of pulling some of the more, uh, if you want to say, heroic characters or maybe more traditionally heroic characters along to his mindset. The problem with Killmonger, and I think part of the the desire that's in this tweet is that we lost him so quickly and he could be so much yes, more. Yes, like, could yeah. you imagine a scenario in which we see someone like Shuri, like the next generation actually kind of being pulled to more of a Killmonger-esque mm. mindset? Um, you know, I don't know. Did did we kind of get robbed by losing Killmonger this early? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think he's done. But is absolutely. there a resurrection altar? In What's happened uh, in the comics? <laughs> So a couple of times there was a resurrection in the comics, particularly, I guess, most famously by the Mandarin, um, in Iron Man. But Not when, he's, when, when he's, when he's resurrected, he always dies very quickly. So it's not, it's not like there's an extended, it's more like a resuscitation, I guess, <laughs> you know, it's not like some extended, like, Oh, he's back and he's going to stick around for years. Like, no, I think he's being brought back for a purpose and right. then he's vanquished. Which and is as true of most, right yeah, as yeah. which is true of most of them. And as of right now in the comics, I don't even think he's alive. So I think Killmonger is definitively dead in the comics. If only someone could just snap their fingers and bring him back to life. Oh, no. <laughs> so so if what's only. interesting is it did I'm wondering, did the snap lead to an imbalance? And that's one of the things that I, I've wondered is, is did the snap not just get rid of half the universe, make half the universe disappear, but did the snap also rend something in space time hmm. to make even the idea of death for a period of time relative? Interesting. And obviously I've always said that that's the, that's obviously the pretext and that's, you know, Marvel's excuse for saying, Hey, here are the X-Men and the Fantastic Four because there's all this, you know, universe instability. And then there's a break and then something happens. They've got to go back in time or they've got to do something or, and then, Hey, there's, uh, there's all these heroes. Cause I just don't think you can say, you know, they've existed forever. And then, you know, they didn't fight Thanos. Like I just, what are you doing at home? Hmm. But what I'm saying is maybe there's a case where, you know, who knows? Thanos gets challenged by the Avengers, the originals, and he's like, I'll bring back all your nemesis. Like I'll bring oh, back wow. all your chief I'll bring back all your chief people. Like all the all the villains that you had before, I'll snap, I'll bring them back. 
Oh, wow. And so you'll fight Ronin. You'll fight Red Skull. You'll fight... What would that look like, Killmonger? Wow. Abomination. Like, what would that look like as kind of... Even as like a final battle where he's like, okay, well, they brought back everyone and now I've got to fight everyone straight up and they're motivated. Can I still have the Soul Stone and snap and bring back some other people? Hmm. So now Thanos leads an army of of the evil dead, you know. Wow. That would be incredible. <laughs> that would be amazing. But yes. you know, I just I just can't see us number one, I can't see them getting rid of Michael B. Jordan as an actor that quickly. They hung on to Tom Hiddleston for a long time as Loki. And I think it's because he was such a fan favorite. And I think Marvel's gonna look at there's two there's two schools of thought. The the one school of thought is Marvel's going to look at, man, there's such a cultural conversation around Killmonger, we have to keep him. And then there's another school of thought that says, he is so radically black, we can't have <laughs> We can't have this just sitting out in the universe. This this black radical like, ah, we got to get rid of him. Ah, he's, he's dead. Bury me bury me in the ocean, not the slave ships. I know? don't know, man. Enough yeah. money, enough money can even make them more. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. think I think when it comes down to it, the popularity, I think the sequel to Black Panther will really define as to whether or not he comes back cuz I don't think he's coming back next movie, but if next movie does poorly, then I guarantee he's coming back in 3. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't perceive the next movie to do do poorly, but I mean, he was such a crucial it's part a of the success bar, of the show. It's a high Man, bar, too. It's a high bar. Listen, and they'll bring in some other actors, but I think it's a really high bar for them to to exceed. I think that the the way we would end is, you know, what does Killmonger represent moving forward? Because if people mm. are kind of talking about Killmonger was right, and that's the hashtag, and we're kind of saying, yeah, he makes some points. He, he had some points. What does it represent for the future of this conversation? Because we're getting to a place where there's a, there is a heavy tension, as Aaron was mentioning, that people are saying, hey, we want change now. And what does it look like for the conversation if people see an embodiment of someone like Killmonger rallying? <laughs> you know, is that a concern? Is that something that we should be, be looking out for? The Killmonger-esque real life character? Who says, you know, everything must come down. The anarchists, the, the nihilists. Like, is that what we're, is that what we're in store for in the future? I say yes. Um, because to the degree that a desire for what is just is, is disconnected from like a more of a righteous base or a principle base, that's what, that's what you get. That's what, that's what you end up with. Because if your base isn't sound, you can't answer the and then what question. So like, for instance, I want this to fall, but what's going to fill the vacuum? If I want this system to fall, what are we going to replace it with? And I think we've seen that throughout history, which again is what makes this character so compelling because I can't help but like in my mind and thinking about Killmonger's goal and what he was after, you know where my mind has been going? The, 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 the historic shootout between the Panthers and law enforcement. Mm. You know, I, I think like in a way like that, that event is so polarizing, just like Killmonger. Absolutely. You know, you have those who see it as an egregious act of lawlessness, but then you have others who see it as a moment of pride and, and principal resistance. Yeah. You have other people say, man, they killed Fred Hampton. Like, so it's like, right. I mean, come on. And so I think that that character is, is a catalyst for, um, 
not only for the conversation to continue, but even amongst real people who watch it to spur them and to, to provoke in different ways. So I say definitely. Man, hmm. that's tough. I, I kind of want to be a little T'Challa, maybe a little Killmonger without the violence, and then a little Nakia, too. Like, I kind of want to be a mix. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, when, g- it, when it comes down to it, um, you know, the, the polarized nature of, you know, T'Challa, Killmonger, um, perhaps there is a middle ground approach, somebody with a lot more wisdom that, that could even kind of lead the way in that way. And maybe that was in the form of Nakia. Uh, stay tuned. We'll see you guys soon on Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com slash CT.